The following message is presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Now the message. Today is New Year's Day, a day for resolutions. Do you make resolutions? I read several years ago that some of the more popular ones are to spend more time with family, to lose some weight, exercise more, quit smoking, relax and enjoy life more, get out of debt, learn something new, help others more, get organized. Some of these I really need to apply. Read the Bible more and be more regular in church. Resolutions don't normally last very long, do they? I think it was Adrian Rogers who said they're in one year and out the other. Uh, That's about the way it is for me as well. But New Year's is a good time to evaluate our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with the church. It's good for us to look back and see where we have been, where we are, and where we would like to be. Let me ask you a question. What do you see for the future of First Baptist Church? What do you see in the future? Well, I don't know what the future holds. But I'm convinced that churches, and this one in particular, needs revival. We need to be more committed to the things of God. And we need to become the church that Jesus Christ desires for us. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians writes about husbands and wife. And listen to the words that he uses. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Listen, the church, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, that is the church, should be holy and without blemish. The Lord's desire for church universally, but church locally, is that we become a glorious church presented unto Him as a bride without any kind of spot or wrinkle or problem. The problem is that we're not there yet. But it doesn't mean that God still doesn't have that hunger for you and me, our church, this church and other churches, to become that glorious church. Do we have a picture of that? Is there a model anywhere for us to look at and follow? I think so. In fact, in the second chapter of Acts, at the end of the day of Pentecost... Peter preached a sermon and 3,000 people were converted on that day. What a marvelous day that must have been. And then at the end of that sermon, the end of that response, 
Peter writes some things, or really Luke writes some things that happened on that day. And I want to share with you some of the things that I believe picture or are the model for a glorious church. You know the book of Acts. Chapter 1 is where Jesus gave the great commission, Acts 1.8. It's where he ascended into heaven and the disciples were watching him and the angel said he's going to come back. Chapter 2 is the beginning of the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in an unusual way. Response, chapter 3 and following is the penetration of the church into the world. But I want you to turn with me to the end of the sermon that Peter preached, Acts chapter 2, verse 40 and following. And I want to read this paragraph and come back and look at it with us and see if there are some things that maybe God would speak to us about related to this church as he speaks to all churches. So the copy of Scripture, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 40, you'll recognize this as the end of Peter's sermon. And when many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And this is where the church picture begins. Those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear, or awe, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I cannot think of anything more beautiful than the description of the early church. This is the first church that we have any record of, and it was there in Jerusalem. Several years ago, you may remember, uh, several books were written that were pretty popular. Uh, Rick Warren, the pastor out at uh, Saddleback Baptist Church in California wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. Remember that? Then he wrote one called The Purpose Driven Church. Some of the ideas that uh, he drew from for that book are found right here in this passage of Scripture that I have just read. I want to share with you five purposes of the church that come out of this paragraph, this description of the first church. You'll find that on the back of the bulletin if you are interested at all. I didn't leave any blanks for you to fill in, but you can kind of follow along and see. When we see the church, when we see the picture of the church that Luke paints for us in this beautiful passage of Scripture, there are several things that jump out. And using some of the terminology of Rick Warren, we have five distinct purposes that come out of this paragraph. One is that the church is to grow warmer through fellowship. 
And if you look again at some of those verses, verse 42, 44, and 46, you'll get a picture of the warmth and the fellowship that they enjoyed. Now let me tell you that the word translated fellowship here is that old Greek word that you've heard before, koinonia. And it's not just drinking coffee and eating donuts after church or going to somebody's house and sitting around and and chewing the fat. This word is a deep relationship kind of word. It has the idea of sharing your heart with another person. It's used sometimes to describe a joint participation in business. It's the idea of really sharing your life with someone else. And the picture of the church here is that they loved one another and they spent time with one another and they shared with one another. This relationship is deeper than just just shaking hands and going about your business. It's the opening up of your heart and your home for other people and it's that kind of fellowship there. The word, uh, this is interesting to me, down in verse uh, 47, I believe it is, They're breaking bread from house to house, ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. There was a translation that translated that little phrase, simplicity of heart, meaning no rocks in the fellowship. Think about that. No rocks in the fellowship. If you have an issue with someone else in the church, and there's not always harmony, then there's some rocks in the fellowship. And the church that we have described for us in Acts chapter 2, all the rocks have been removed. There was sweetness and fellowship that, that permeated everything. And I'm convinced that that's the desire that God has for every local church. And then perhaps even the church universal could experience a lot of harmony that we do not have today. J.D. Gray, I don't know if you remember his name or not, he pastored for many, many years, a generation or two ago, uh, told a story one time, I asked a question, do you know the difference between wild horses and wild donkeys? Well, I didn't, but I heard that. And he said, if there is a group of wild horses and they are attacked or almost attacked by some wild animal like a mountain lion or something else, horses put their heads together, and with their hind feet, they kick and defend themselves. Wild donkeys are just opposite. If they are attacked by a mountain lion or some other wild animal, they put their tails together, and they kick and destroy themselves. There may be a lot of wild donkeys in the church of Jesus Christ if we cannot get along We need to be like wild horses and defend one another with all of our abilities. The second thing I see in this passage of Scripture related to purposes of the church is that the church not only is to grow warmer through fellowship, but to grow deeper in discipleship. Discipleship is a missing ingredient in most churches today. Are you all old enough to remember Training Union, BYPU, Church Training, RAs, GAs, Mission Friends, WMU, those things that helped us get a hold of what we believe and practice 
Not much of that going on in most churches, including this one. The word discipleship that described them was that they met and studied the apostles' doctrine. They got into what it meant to be a born-again believer. They learned what it was that Jesus wanted the church to be and to become. And they studied that, the Scripture says, daily. The idea of training and, and becoming mature in the faith. We need to have more of that kind of hunger in our heart for the Word of God so that we can not only understand it, but we can put it into practice in our life. They met steadfastly. Do you see that word? They met daily so that they could absorb what these apostles had seen as they had walked three years with the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. They had a hunger for the things of God. It's heartbreaking for me and perhaps you to uh, to come to church and it's mostly empty. Where is the desire on the heart of God's people to learn what the Word of God says and then to put it into practice? If we are to be the church that God wants us to do and to fulfill the purposes, we not only will have fellowship, that we'll have this, this desire to understand, this desire for discipleship. The third thing I see in here, verse 43 and verse 47, is that the church is to grow stronger through worship. Did a study one time on worship. It's very interesting to to think about the elements of worship. Everything we do ought to be a part of worship. Bible study in Sunday school. Shaking hands with one another. Greeting one another with a holy... Don't do holy kisses much anymore, do we? At least a holy hug. But our offering is important. Our prayer time is important. Worship through singing and music is vitally important. Hearing the Word of God and responding to that are all parts of worship. How well do you worship when you come to this place? Do you sing? Do you pray? Do you have your Bible with you? Have anything to take notes with? Why not? If God speaks to us, are you listening? If God speaks to us and we don't retain it, would He speak to us again if we're not interested in what He had to say? Statistics say that you will forget 90% of what you hear within 24 hours. I think I'm better than that. I think I can forget 95% or 99%. But if you see it and read it, you retain far more than that. If you write it down, you retain far more than that. And if you put it into practice you'll retain almost 100%. What am I saying? If we expect God to say something to us as we worship Him, then we must be good stewards in retaining what God has to say, not just so we have it in our heads, but we put it into practice in our life. We 
must come to understand that worship is not the performance of the singing or the preaching, and you're the audience. No. God is the audience when we worship. He's looking down on us, you and me. And when we worship, we're worshiping the Lord and He is the one that we seek to please. Many of us have voices like mine. It's more like a croak than it is a harmony. But we make a joyful noise unto the Lord and we sing and we celebrate and we worship and we lift our voices in praise. Every one of us is called upon to worship the Lord when we come together in a place like this. The desire of the Lord for the church is that we have a sweet, sweet fellowship and we care about one another, that we worship Him by our discipleship, our hunger for the Word of God, and then we express that joyfully in worship. Does that make sense? One of the purposes of the church is worship. Look at verse 44 and 45. You see that the church is to grow broader through ministry. We're to help one another. Did you see the description of that New Testament church? They sold their possessions. They got rid of things that were excessive in their life so that they could take what they received from that and they ministered to other people as they had need. My soul, what a challenge that is for us. God intends for the church to be in our world just what He would be if He were here in the flesh. We're the body of Christ. What did Jesus do when He was here? He fed the hungry. He provided sight for the blind, for the meeting the needs. We have come to depend upon the government to do the ministry of the church. And it destroys the ministry. We need to see ourselves as the ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet the needs of people around us. If that be true, I think we're moving in a good direction here because just recently we had a tremendous response to the nursing home needs, remember? And we gave out 30-something baskets of food as blankets and coats for how many people? That's the kind of thing that ought to ought to motivate us to do more for the kingdom of God. We need to be ministering. A fifth purpose of the church is evangelism. We're to grow larger through evangelism. I feel, and you should too, embarrassed that we use that baptistry far too seldom, don't we? Isn't the church... Don't we have deposited within us the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if we have it, shouldn't we share it? Yes. 
these people had just seen 3,000 new converts in one day. And then the end of that chapter says the Lord was adding to them daily those who were being saved. When the church sees the fire of evangelism as something that we have to share, then we do that. And the picture that we have here is that they were evangelistic in their giving and in their going. And the church of Jesus Christ still has that purpose. Does it not? Yes. The question that comes to me is, how many times have I shared the gospel with someone who's lost? How many times have you shared the gospel? If we place ourselves in the first century church that we've just read about, we need and will share the gospel, won't we? If these purposes are the purpose of the church, fellowship and discipleship and worship and ministry and evangelism, how do you think we're doing? Maybe a better question is how are you doing? How am I doing? And the thing that bothers me is that I don't see me or us doing very well in several of these purposes of the church. In looking at the church and its purposes, there are some driving forces. You know what a driving force is? It's that which guides and controls and determines the direction that you go to direct something. And there are some wrong driving forces in our world. One is tradition. Traditions can be good, but they can also hold us back, can they not? If we're not doing what we need to do because of some tradition that we have, then maybe the tradition needs to be changed. Sometimes the driving force is personality. The leaders may or may not be leading in the right kind of direction. And we seem to follow those who we have promoted to be leaders. Their personality may or may not be what the church needs. There is another wrong driving force. I think it's finances. What I mean by that is, what's the number one question, the first question we ask when a new ministry is considered? Well, how much does it cost? Can we afford it? Let me remind us that that is not the best question to ask first. The first question ought to be, what is God's will? Because when you determine the will of God, isn't the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills responsible for 
for providing the resources to do that ministry? Yes. And if we are locked into, we don't have enough money, we can't see our way to do that. Let's learn to get on our knees and say, Lord, what do you want of me and us? And then find out that God is still in the miracle working business. He can still do what He wants to do with people like us who are willing to do what He calls us to do. That makes sense? There are some right driving forces that I want to mention. One is that the church ought to be directed by the great commandment. Remember that one, right? Jesus was asked one day, Matthew chapter 22, Well, Lord, what is the great commandment? And he gives two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment is that we have a heart that is full of love for God and that will make us love one another. And when that becomes the driving force in our life, then we begin to see with the eyes of God, we begin to hear with the ears of God, we respond with the heart of God, and God is able to do in us and through us what He wants to accomplish. He does not need people who are able. (laughs) He needs people who are available and then He will help us become able to do what God wants us to do. So the motivation force is, Lord, out of my love for you and love for people, point me in the right direction. And the other driving force is the Great Commission. I mentioned earlier in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you're going to receive the power for the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will, did you notice that? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the othermost parts of the earth. Some of that is geographical. You start at home. Judea. Jerusalem, Judea. But Samaria was not geographical, it was cultural. Are you listening? Sometimes God may want us to get out of our comfort zone to minister to those who are sometimes overlooked. They don't wear the same clothes. Don't have the same color skin. They don't have the same background educationally. That's the Samaritans that Jesus spoke to the Jews about because they hated them because they called them half-breeds. If we are to fulfill the Great Commission, we will see the world as the mission field. And we come to church to be encouraged, and when we leave the door, we're entering the mission field. When I was interim pastor in Woodville, Texas, I had signs, or people in the church made signs that was out by the parking lot. And when you drove past that sign, it says you're now entering the mission field. That's true. 
We need to see the world as our mission field. Well, this is a pretty tough Bible study, isn't it, to start the new year with? But I don't know of anything more important than to consider why are we here? Why are we a local church? Well, those purposes, fellowship, to open our hearts and our homes, discipleship, to study to apply the Word of God to our lives, worship, to participate in lifting our voices in prayer and in music and in listening and responding to the Word of God. Our purpose is to minister, help other people. Our purpose is to witness. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you evaluate First Baptist Church? On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you evaluate yourself? If you have been saved... You're saved for the purpose of serving the Lord and we serve Him through His church. Paul said that He wants to present us as a beautiful, glorious bride. I'm not there yet, are you? But wouldn't it be a good challenge to let 2023 become the year that these things become our priority. If they are the priority of Jesus, the head of our church, the Savior of our life, should what He wants become what I want? I think so. I read this story several years ago and I read it again. There was a... Well, just let me read a paragraph and then I'll tell you the story. The ministry of the church is a ministry of people. When the church lives, it lives because the people within it are vital and active. When a church dies, it withers and dies, not because the brick and mortar and carpet and pews get old and begin to crack and rip and crumble. A church withers and dies because people wither and die. And then the story of a guy from Oklahoma, young preacher went to a small church that was just about dead. He believed that God was going to use him to help that church grow and become vital again. And he preached his heart out. He did everything he could to minister in the church and through the church. And it just didn't seem to make any difference. Finally, he had an idea, a radical idea really. He announced to the church and in the local newspaper and on the radio that the church was dead and they were having a funeral for the church. Well, that caught the attention of the community because the church had been there a long, long, long time. Certain afternoon was announced as the time for for the funeral of the church. Parking lot was full. 
church was full. People standing on the outside looking in the windows. And the pastor stood and gave the eulogy. Talked about the church and its past. What a great church it had been. Those kinds of things. And then, finally, he finished the eulogy and stepped down to where the coffin was. There was a big coffin there with flowers on it. And he took the flowers off and opened it up and invited the people to come by and view the body of the church. You have already guessed what happened. When the people came and looked into that coffin, they were shocked. For the pastor had placed a great big mirror and they saw their own reflection. And they realized the reason the church was having its funeral was because the people had given up on the church. I certainly don't want to do that. I don't think it's time to close the doors. It's not time to have a casket for the church. But it is time for you and me to consider carefully what are we going to do? How are we going to respond to what the Bible says are the purposes of the church? Will I be faithful? Will I serve the Lord? Will I be a good steward of the gospel? Will I attend Bible study and worship? Will I contribute financially? Will I be involved in the ministry and the mission of the church? If not, might as well close the doors. Right? Let's pray. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation time just for you to consider, for me to consider. What is it we need to do, Lord? What do I need to do in response to the the picture of the church that you give us in Acts chapter 2? The words to the hymn that we'll be singing in a moment is where he leads. Am I willing to follow? Are you? I pray that we will be obedient to that. The organist is playing quietly. Before we stand and sing, I just want you to consider, Lord, do I need to make any commitments? Do I need to change the way I see things? What's my role in this place or wherever I serve the Lord? Would you like to make a commitment of prayer? After I pray, for just a moment as we hear the music. Maybe God speaks to you as he has to me. Where he leads me, I will follow. Father, I pray today that you'll help me and us to listen carefully to what you say is our purpose and our desire. May our desire become your desire. May our motivating force be what you've taught us and may we become the people of God that you want us to be speak to us individually 
and collectively I pray. Now just sit for just a moment and listen to the Spirit of God as you talk to Him. You need to come and make this this an altar where you commit yourself to the Lord again. It's here. What do you need to do? The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about the church, including contact information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.